Christmas is such a great time, and and uh, and I, I really believe that as things have been different, right? This year, we're all, all been saying that for quite a while. Um, one of the things about the difference is, I think for for followers of Christ, I think it's kind of honed us in to really focus on what really Christmas is. Because let's face it, the celebration of Christmas is all over the place. I mean, what does Disney characters have to do with Christmas, right? And, uh, and Star Wars, Darth Vader on the front lawn, you know, lit up. I just don't make the connection, you know, with, with Christmas. And we have so much that we really try to, you know, everything's kind of thrown into Christmas now. It's just a big, you know, just, just a big conglomerate. But the only thing that really Christmas is about, the only thing that really matters is that um, the greatest event in all of history happened. The most wonderful event. The, the, the most confusing event the incarnation, the, the most amazing thing happened on that day when Jesus was born. And uh, we celebrate that unto us a child is born and a son is given, right? And we're grateful for that. I've uh, been praying that today would be, as we gather would be um, kind of just a, a joyful reflection uh, about what God has done. I think it is a challenge every year as Christmas comes to really focus in. I think when Christmas wasn't as big, you know, and, uh, and as um, commercialized, I, I think people tended to focus more and enjoy more about really what really Christmas is about. But I think in our day and age, we have, to, we have to intentionalize that in our life. We have to decide that it's more than the presence under the Christmas tree, and it's more than, you know, it's more than the lights and all of that. And, and I'm for those things. I just, I, I spent way too much time decorating this year. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm for those things. I'm not against them. I'm just telling you that the things that really matter. I have a, I have a um, banner that I purchased um, several years ago. And, um, and every year I put it out. It's, uh, it's about four feet by, I don't know, 10 feet or so. And I always hang it outdoors. And it says, Happy Birthday, Jesus. I want it to be a reminder of what we, it really is all about. It's about him. And it's about what he's done for us. And so because of that, I'm going to want us to take a look in, uh, in one of the two places in the, the Gospels where it actually gives part of the, the, the birth, the Christmas story. Both Luke and Matthew give, um, give, give us the story. Actually, Mark doesn't even give us the story. It jumps right into the ministry of Jesus right away and his confrontation with the kingdom of darkness. And John actually takes us way before the birth of Christ and starts with, in the word, 
you know, he, he, the word was with God, the word was God, you know, and, and, and that all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. And it takes us further than the birth of Christ to who he is as the, the almighty God himself. But the birth of Christ is is a mystery, and I, that's why I said it's the most wonderful and the most confusing event in history. Confusing in this sense of, of grasping it. Not that we don't understand what happened, it's grasping it. Grasping the reality that God became one of us. The virgin birth is actually essential for God becoming one of us. And whenever anyone tries to take the virgin birth out of the story, they don't understand the very nature of God and why God had to become both man and infuse himself into humanity through the, the virgin birth. And, and that, that part of the story um, not only is essential, but it is also, it's essential in the sense that it had to happen that way, but it's also essential in fulfilling scripture. And so the text that I picked of the two, of the Luke and Matthew, um, it's just a short portion that I want to take a look at, and we're in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. And, and Joseph has received um, that Mary is going to have a child. And uh, well, let's read it, and let me comment as we go. Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he... he um, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which was conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him, uh, his wife and did not know her until she brought forth her firstborn son and he called his Name Jesus. Jehovah saves. Now, this, this text gives us a quote from the book of Isaiah where, where it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That he will be designated Emmanuel. What Jesus came for, when you think about why he, why did God come to be with us? Why did God come to be one of us? Because that is the Christmas story. God became one of us. And 
And why he would do that? What would, what would be the reason for that? Well, there's a lot of things we could kind of fill in that. But what I really want to do is I want to listen to the words of Jesus himself. And so there's four things, in, and there's actually more. There's, there's other places where Jesus made the statement. And if you look up the, the, the statement, I have come, or you know, or, or, any, or, if the God, or the epistles say he came for this reason, you can see why, in fact, Jesus says he came. And, and one of the reasons, in fact, I'm going to give you the four, and I'm, I want to read these, these texts to you. But first one is to show us the heart of God, to show us the heart of God. See, um, Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. And, and God, God was misunderstood. In fact, if you were to Google um, what is God like, you will find a, an extraordinary amount of real misunder, misunderstanding about the nature of God. I mean, strange, bizarre ideas about who God is. It it isn't a, a small group of people who misunderstand the nature of God. The fact is, much of our culture, even in, here in America, we have so many people who fully and totally misunderstand who God is. And, uh, and, and you're hearing more and more about it, songs and so forth, that just keep proclaiming that we're God. And somehow, we're, we're, we've been, you know, we're the very essence of God ourselves. Other con concepts of God and, uh, and ideas about God. Billions of people uh, believe that God is, um, well, the, the nature of God in, in, uh, in the Muslim world, the nature of God in the Hindu world, in the Buddhist world, are so contrary. But it's not just that. Even in the, in the Christian church, there is a misunderstanding of what God is like. Jesus came into a world that was very religious, extremely religious. And in fact, he came to that world that had the Bible itself. They had the Old Testament. They studied it probably with a lot more uh, vigor and, uh, and seriousness than the average Christian today studies the Bible. That was the world he came into, and yet they fully had under, misunderstood God. The way they interpreted Scripture, they, they, filtered, they filtered who God is, and they filtered Scripture through their, um, their bias ahead of time. And we see that in the Scripture itself. And it hasn't stopped. It still comes that way. But, but Jesus came, and you'll notice, in fact, when Jesus came, what most people kind of at a glimpse of the, of the words of Jesus when you go through the Gospels don't understand that almost everything Jesus said was already in the Old Testament. He was quoting the Old Testament over and over. And what he did, though, was, he was as he was quoting the Old Testament, he was illustrating what God's heart was on it. I mean, a, a good illustration of that is how that um, the religious leaders interpreted what God said about the Sabbath to keep it holy and, and so forth. They misunderstood what that meant, and they applied all kinds of binding rules to the, the command to obey the Sabbath and keep it holy. And Jesus 
comes along and he says, listen, you're totally misunderstanding that because you're totally misunderstanding God. And what you've done is, see, understand, he said, the, the, the God, that man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Jesus gave the understanding of why it was given the way it was given and what was the true understanding and ter- true interpretation of that. He gave us an understanding of God. See, God didn't give the Sabbath just because he wanted to give a rule and you better obey it and you better, you better fulfill it and, you know, we, we're, you better be bound to this, you know. You better not cook on the Sabbath. You better not, all these kinds of things that, G, that God never said, the religious people added to. And Jesus comes along and says, no, you don't understand. God made the Sabbath for you. This is for your benefit. This is to bless you. This is to help you. This is for your growth. You see, you misunderstand God. Because you misunderstand God, you misunderstand his words. And Jesus came on that, for that, in that reason. He, he is revealed in this text where it says he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now, it isn't just that God came to us, but it's that God loves to be with us. And that God loves to be with us. He came to be with us. Now, he could have instead, he could have, now he had to come to actually to make a way for our salvation. We know that he had to become a man, he had to die. But he could have just isolated himself from human beings. He could have just kind of showed up one day and died, you know, made a couple comments, died on the cross. He didn't. In fact, he hung out with people 24 hours a day, 12 guys. Now, I can handle 12 guys probably about a day and a half. <laughs> but Jesus hung out with these guys, even the one who was going to, you know, betray him. A bunch of fishermen, a bunch of obnoxious guys. Um, you know, he, he hung out with them 24 hours a day for three and a half years. Why? He loved being with them. He loves being with us. Isn't it interesting that salvation is not identified just as a religious act, but it's a knowing of God. It says they will, you will know him the only true God. This is salvation, that you might know him, the only true God, Jesus Christ. So he, he loves to be with us, and that should, that, that should change our behavior when we come to him. If you realize how much he enjoys being with you, I don't like being with me. I mean, there are just times, you know, I just get tired of myself. But God loves to be with me. I know that. I know he loves to be with you. And he wants to be with you. He wants to converse with you. He wants to, in, you to enjoy his presence and for you to enjoy him as he you know, walks with you and lives with you. The Christian life is a walk with God. That's what it is. That's what it's intended. That's what God intended for us in it. 
it wasn't just that he saved us just so we wouldn't go to hell. He saved us to be with him. And so he loves to be with us and to enjoy us. And, and I, when Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us, it, it revealed not only the heart of God but that, that he loves to be with us, but it revealed the heart of God that he is holy. He is, there is no one like him in his perfection. No one. No one. And the, the Christmas story says that. And John 3.19 says, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. What keeps us from God is the fact that we're not fully like him. Now, we are created in his image, but that means that means some things. That means in some ways we have a free choice that he's given us. We have volition. We have, um, you know, we have capacities that are like God, the capacity to love and all that. But in, in, in other ways, we're not at all like him. We're not like him in his perfection. We're not like him in his holiness and his purity. And so he had to make us that way. That's part of the work that Jesus came to do. And he's, he is merciful. He has compassion and empathy. We see that. He feels our pain. That's one of the reasons he came. Think about who he revealed himself to right at the beginning. He came to a bunch of, you know, the angel came. I should not say Jesus. Well, Jesus too. It, it wasn't an accident that there was no room in the inn. God could have kicked someone out and gave Jesus room. He went he went to a, a stable, but I think we glamorize it. You know, we ha- I have this nativity, little nativity scene. It's kind of glamorized. You know, it's you know it's this cute little lean-to thing that the stable that he's in, and it's got hay in the bottom of this wooden little thing, and and it looks cute with the star in the top. Yeah, and Carol has uh, precious moments nativity scene. And it's cute. Jesus came. Listen, where he probably was in those, he was, most of the, um, the, the places where they kept, the, the shepherds were, is a cave. Right? If you go to Bethlehem, actually you, there are different places. A lot, in fact, there's restaurants in some of these. They've kind of, look, kind of um, t- took part of it and, you could be in a restaurant and see the cave that possibly, of course, they all say, this is the one that the shepherds were in. Yeah. So, but, but actually, the, the, the feeding trough that he would have been laid in, to, laid in was usually carved out of stone. And it was dirty and filthy. The sheep would come in there and do their things. And and there was, there was smells and filth, and it wasn't an accident that the Son of God was laid in there. It wasn't an accident he came to the group of people who were considered the lowest on the totem pole in Jewish society. One of the reasons the shepherds were, in fact, considered that way they oftentimes would not be um for instance if if they witness a um 
a crime, their witness was not, never counted in the court, uh, courts of law. They were continually considered unclean because how do you stay clean in, in the ceremonial way if you're not touching dead animals or fixing them or carrying them? I mean, and, uh, you know, and there's, and, and there's so much that a shepherd has to do. And if, if they become unclean, they, they have to be, they're unclean for seven days. They can't worship. They can't go into the temple area and all of that and worship because they're unclean. Well, that's just a continuous thing for a shepherd. They, they're never able to get there. These shepherds probably were, in fact, the, um, they were the ones who raised this, the, the ceremonial sheep, the ones that were sacrificed at the temple. Bethlehem, we know from historical writing, that Bethlehem was the place where the shepherds, where they got the sheep, for the temple sacrifices. Isn't it interesting that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that his name would be brought to them first as the ones because, well, because of who he is. He comes to those who are the most needy, the most isolated, the most undeserving in our society, in our culture. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, Jesus makes this statement. He tells us, he says, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's, that's the, it's really, and of course, everybody's a sinner, right? So what is he saying? He didn't come for the righteous. Well, those who consider themselves self-righteous. Those who consider themselves kind of better than. He says, you're not going to get it. You're not going to come in to the kingdom because you don't understand the true desperation of, of your nature and your, your character and how much you need a savior. So Jesus says, I didn't come for them. Let me tell you who I came for. I came for the sick. I came for the hurting. I came for the the people who are needy. I came for those who identify and recognize that they failed. That's who I come for. That's who I came for. So if you want to know, at you know Christmas when, when we celebrate, what did Jesus come for? He tells us right there. He says, I came for those who are sinners. How many can, well, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many fit in that category, right? That's who you... Then you're, then you're who Jesus came for. You're who Jesus came for. We also know that not only did he show the heart of God, but let me tell you this, and I just said he came for it, but I want you to get this picture. He came to seek after us. It says in Luke 19, 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Seek and to save. You know, the, the illustrations of the, the, the woman who lost the coin and the shepherd who lost the sheep and the seeking process that gives us a glimpse of the heart of God toward us, that he, he is seeking. There's, there's, in fact, it gives you the image of someone who's desperate to find something they've lost. 
And he says, that's the heart of God. That's who Jesus is. He was desperate to find and is desperate. He still is, folks. I've questioned God <laughs> quite a few times. In recent times, probably more than I have in a while. I've asked God, why are you waiting so long? Come, Jesus. This world needs you so desperately. We need you to come. And the only thing I get back is what I already know. There are lost people. And he's waiting. There's more he's seeking. See, the heart of God goes, will go through a lot. If you think that God's heart isn't broken by the pain and sorrow of people in this world, your pain, your sorrow, you don't understand him. He is broken by it. He's hurting. But he's desperate in this sense. He's desperate to seek and to save those who will come to him. He's desperate to wait. He has this heart. And I say desperate in the sense that not only God can be desperate. He knows everything. But you know his passion. His passion for the lost. I think he would like to infuse that into our hearts too. I don't know if we could take it like he can. I don't think we could. But we can get touches of it, can't you? Have you had that? Where you felt, oh, the burden for lost people, your neighbor, your workmate, people that you know, your relatives that don't know Jesus, that desperation in your heart to seek and to save. And you can only do so much. You can only share. You know much of it is really on, on God's work in their life and God bringing them to salvation. But you pray and you share and you love on them because you seek and you have just that little bit of what his passion is. Think of what he has done to bring you to that place of salvation, his heart to run after you, to chase after you, to embrace you, to love you, to die for you, to die for you. The desperation of the heart of God, to seek after. See, he came to seek, seek after us. He came to save us, to give us new hope. I, I can't help but think of how valuable we must be to him. It seems almost arrogant to even acknowledge it. That God would value us that way. It seems arrogant. The God of the universe would value us. And yet, there's no other answer. He, he highly, highly, highly values us. See, Jesus showed that. He shows how much he cared. He showed how much he cared, how he defended the, the, the broken and how he defended those who are on the outside. and on the, He defended those who were humiliated. He defended people, how he did that, how he loved them because he valued them. See, he was revealing all along the heart of the Father that all the religious people had completely misunderstood. They didn't care. They would set up a woman, 
catch her in adultery, drag her in front of the crowd with all the humiliation, stand there before Jesus. They didn't care. They wanted to win an argument. Jesus wanted to win a soul. That's who he is. And if Jesus was saying, listen, don't you understand? This is what God is like. This is, the, this is what the Father is like. Because you don't. You got, you're so tied up in your whole religious form. You don't understand the personality and the heart of God. But he came to... He came to give us a better life. Some of you are going to misinterpret that, but he came to give us a better life. John 10.10, Jesus said it this way. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundant. A different quality of life, actually. It is eternal life, is the way it's put, that you will have eternal life, that you get eternal life. If Christ, if, if you are a follower of Christ, if you are saved, you already have this quality of life in you. It's eternal life. Now, you can have this quality of life in you and miss all the life that God offers to you. Because even though this quality of life is in you, what it takes, it is in fact the, the life giver, that connection to the life giver to live out the abundant life that he desires for you. And the abundant life comes in a variety of ways. And I think we, we look at that and we think, well, abundant life would be like, you know, it would like be... Uh, Winning the, the lotto or something. That, you know, that would be abundant life. We, we, we put earthly qualities to that concept of abundant life. But abundant life is the kind of life that it really doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You're living life to the fullest. Your circumstances will not hinder you from living life to the fullest. And I can just say this to you. Jesus makes life better. The best life you can have is with Jesus. And Jesus came for that. Came to, to, to give us life. That life more abundant. I think it was an interesting study came up. Actually my wife uh, came across it and showed me. Gallup poll um, did the survey. They did it in 2019 in November. And then they just did it this November. And, um, and, and they found out of all categories, in fact, they, they, they were looking for the mental health, they were rating the mental health of, um, of people in all cat different categories. And one of the categories was the, was they, they looked at was the only category that it, there was a positive uh, there, was a, there was a positive direction where 46% where, uh, of the people in this category said that there was a positive change in their mental health and they identified their mental health as excellent. Now, every other category, it was either the same or lower. This one category, 
This one category were Americans who attended religious services weekly. Their mental health was excellent. Why? Now, you understand, going to church isn't going to make your mental health excellent. It could actually make it worse. <laughs> but I suppose that the people who go to church were the people also who are most, most likely to have something going on with their life between them and Jesus. And because something is going on between them and Jesus, something healthy is happening in their life as well. Then Jesus came, and listen, he said this one. I, w I was tempted to leave this one out. It's not as positive as the other ones. He, he, he said that he came to bring a division. Now, in a day that there is division, I mean, we, we, we have political division like we've not seen in our nation in a long time. I mean, there are historians that say, yeah, there were times we've been this divided. But we all identify, we can all see it, right? It doesn't take much for us to see that. Listen to the, the words of Jesus. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I thought he was a peacemaker. He thought, I thought he wanted us to be peacemakers. But listen, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Does that sound like God? Sound like Jesus? What's he saying? Well, I skipped a couple verses before I got to it. And it puts it in context because verse 32 says this, Therefore, whoever confesses me before me and I will, will also confess before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus said there's two categories. We, we like to divide. We have categories, right? Men and women and, you know, racial categories. People put them in and age categories. We've got the elderly, those old people and young people like us. And, you know, we have these categories that we, we do. And... God says there's really only two categories. There are saved and there are unsaved. There are those who are with me and those who are against me. He says that that's the categories. God said right at the beginning about to Adam and Eve that there will be enmity between the seed of the woman. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say the seed of the man the woman, the seed of the woman. Why? Because the woman, it was a woman's seed. It wasn't a man's seed. It was the Holy Spirit that impregnated a woman. There'll be an enmity be from the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent or the, the serpent's line. There'll be a division. That division isn't one that we push for in fact, everything else Jesus said about how we relate to people is to bring people in and is to make 
you know, people feel loved by us and to care for them and all of that. That is not a work that God has directed us to to make that division. He says, this is the division that happens because of what I'm doing for you. Because as you become a follower of God, as you become a child of God, there is an enemy that rises up who has great influence in the kingdom of this world. And that enemy stirs those who are unknowing and who are submitted to his will against the people of God. And it always has been that way until Jesus comes back, and it always will be. And we should never be surprised by it. I think one of the things that is happening in these last days that, that we're seeing is it's starting to be exposed that there are actually people out there, people in power, who has, have a real bent against Christians. I think, it's, I, think, I think the church has been appeared strong enough that there were political leaders who would never go down that road, even though they actually thought it and, and felt that way. I think today they've been emboldened. I think in these days we're seeing more of it. We're seeing the true colors. There's being exposure. There is a division coming, and it has been. We see for the first time, at least in our country, what a, what a unique place we have been, the United States of America. What a unique, wonderful place that God has given us to live. Because other places in the world, they find it, they, they find that division, it's pretty clear. It's all around them. The suppression and persecution in so many places. And, and Jesus said, listen, there's going to be division. Even, even in, in, in some of your families, some of you know that. Some of you got saved in, the, in, in that environment where you grew you came to Christ and your family didn't and there was some real opposition. Some of you faced that big time. And some of you are facing it today. You faced it in your workplace or you faced it in your neighborhoods and among friends. And you, Sometimes it's bewildering. Jesus said, it's going to happen. You need to know I came. And because I've come, this is what's going to take place in this world. There is going to be a division that is taking place. I want to close with um, reading a portion from the book of Luke, and it's the prophecy of Simeon. And Simeon, when Jesus came to the temple to, um, to be dedicated, and uh, that's when he was named, and uh, he would, be, would have been circumcised at that point, there was a man there. In fact, there was a man and a woman there, um, Anna and, uh, and Simeon, and they were old. But Anna would have been probably somewhere around 102 to 106 years old, um, 80 years after her marriage. She was probably married young. She was married, she was, uh, was what, eight years, um, was it seven years that uh, from her, um, marriage, when her husband died, she served in the temple. And Simeon was older. He was probably about 112. So he had two old people, you know, that upper category I was talking about. Really old people. But this 
he, he, um, he was waiting. In fact, the Lord had spoken to him that he would not take him, he would not die until he had seen the Lord's anointed, the, the, the Messiah, the Holy One. And when he came, he knew. He knew. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, now, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, he's telling God. I can go, go now. For my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen. See, salvation isn't a religious act. Salvation is a person. You understand? Salvation is Jesus. Jesus is salvation. It's his, it's his presence in our soul that attaches itself to us that makes us pure. The spirit of Christ. And he says, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Uh, all us Gentiles say amen. amen. Yeah, hallelujah. And glory to your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, catch this. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Just speak the name Jesus and you see the division happening. It starts to happen. You, you know, you can just say, oh, you know, bless God, or, or you, can, you can say, oh, my God, or, you know. And unless you use Jesus' name as a curse word, but even then, right, who, what Christian that hears someone using Jesus' name as a curse word doesn't just kind of back up at that. That, 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 that doesn't, in fact, offend you, that the one you love so much is being used, his name being used in that way. But, but his name, he says, he, he is set for the falling, the fall and rising of many in Israel. Depending on how and what they believe about him. And for a sign which would be spoken against. I was watching a, a program it was made in uh, India. It was an, it was an Indian uh, storyline, and it was in Indian. It was Indian people, and they used the Lord's name in vain. I go, wait a minute! You've got five million gods in India, five million, and you choose to name use the Lord Jesus's name. He's the dividing point. It says, yes, the sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. See, Jesus reveals our hearts. What you think of him, what you believe about him reveals your heart. Jesus says, I didn't come for the healthy. It's those who think they are. The self-righteous. I came for those who know that they're sick, that they need a savior, that they're sinners. That's what Christmas is about. That's why even though we have to deal with COVID and all kinds of other things going on, 
that's why there's still joy to the world and joy to us. Amen. Even if you have Darth Vader in your front yard. Happy birthday, Jesus. Amen. Happy birthday, Jesus. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you. Today, Lord, we just lift your name. You are Savior. And our hearts are, in fact, Lord, um, life is better because of you. Even, Lord, if we are unable to do our normal Christian, Christmas gatherings like we would like, or Lord, even if, Lord, this, this disease has caused us financial difficulties or lost jobs or lost lives, Lord, no matter what we face, there is one thing that has not changed, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners in whom I'm chief. Thank you, Jesus. If you have not given your life to Jesus, whether here or online, I just want to say to you, you can. If you recognize that you need him, all you have to do is you have to just call upon him. Just need, all you need to do is admit it before him. Put your faith in the work that he did when he died for you. Invite him to be your savior. I can just lead you in that prayer right now. Just say this. Dear God, I acknowledge that I need you. That I have, in fact, done things that are contrary to what you want. And I know that. I've sinned. And I ask you to help me. I ask you to cleanse my soul. Lord, take the sin out of my soul. Cleanse my soul. Make me pure. I believe you died for me and you were buried and you conquered death. You are my Savior. So today I want to invite you into my life and I want to ask you to help me to follow you because I choose you, Jesus, as my Savior. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that and you meant that, you can um, go online, ccanheim.com, and let us know you accepted Christ. We'll send you some information to help you in your walk with God. Well, I'm looking forward to Christmas Eve. We're going to do this again a different way, but we're going to keep celebrating. I think it's worth it. Let's have a really, you know, my family, my, I, I don't want to, one of my family members, no, several of my family members, they have, they're known for having not a birthday, but a birth month. In other words, they expect celebration all month long. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Carol, but <laughs> it's a birth month. I think we ought to celebrate the birth of Jesus all year round. Let's do that. Huh? Let's have Amen. Why don't you stand with us? Let's celebrate.
Praise Him. 